Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, Invisible Friend, April here, and the date today is July 25th, 2022. Welcome to Episode 133 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, the Leo New Moon trine Jupiter, just as Jupiter is turning retrograde. Mercury makes aspects to Mars, Saturn, and Uranus, and we reach the apex of a very rare, rather disconcerting combination of Mars, Uranus, and the Moon's North Node. Plus, a listener question about how the highlights I cover in each week's podcast can be applied to your own birth chart. Mercury is busy this week, making three important aspects to Mars, Uranus, and Saturn. And even though they happen on different days throughout the week, I thought I'd group them all together here at the front of the show. Let's first just remember what Mercury is about. We call Mercury the planet of communication, and that's not incorrect. But I think sometimes our view of what communication is, is not quite broad enough. We think of communication as being information going out, things that we're sharing with the world. But it's really a multi-layered process. Mercury first gathers information, so it's also a listening planet. And then it processes that information, and that is a more analytical function. And then it shares information verbally or through writing or through other methods. So to just say communication always feels a little bit incomplete to me. Mercury's first aspect this week is it's square to Mars on July 26th at 12.13 p.m. Pacific time. If Mercury is about communication and Mars is a planet of action, of defense, sometimes when Mercury comes together with Mars, we can be a little short-tempered, we can be a little impatient, and we can speak impulsively in a way that we might later regret. I think this is especially possible with Mercury being in Leo, which is a fire sign. And all the fire signs are quite expressive and tend to get their feelings and thoughts out in a hurry and then just move on without a lot of thought about what the consequences are. I mean, on the plus side, a fire sign, all things being equal, doesn't necessarily hold a grudge in the same way that, say, a water sign might be apt to. So Mercury being in Leo just says, maybe we talk before we think, and it triggers a Mars response. So this can be anger, it can be conflict. On the plus side, Mars is a very energizing planet. And if there is something you've been needing to do, say you have some huge project or paper or something that you need to review this would be a good week to do that because the square to Mars would give you the motivation. If there are difficult phone calls you've been needing to make, say you have to call your insurance company and go over something that's complicated and you've been putting it off, here's your aspect for doing something like that. So give Mercury and Mars a job to do together this week, which is to tackle the things related to Mercury That we've been putting off because now we're more apt to be motivated. But if we don't give Mercury and Mars a job to do, it can be a lot more likely that the difficulties of this aspect will manifest themselves through arguments or conflict. 
Then on July 28th, Mercury makes a square aspect to Uranus at 2.16 p.m. Pacific time. This is a combination with the potential for great inspiration and innovation. Mercury is the way we think and process information, and Uranus can bring insights that really brighten up our thinking and give us great new breakthroughs and ideas. But Uranus is also a little bit more prone to go off the rails because it doesn't like to follow a particular sequence or schedule in doing things. So Mercury square Uranus says that we will be struggling a little bit with tasks that require us to really follow a particular sequence. And this is really just around July 28th. Because on July 30th, Mercury opposes Saturn, which is the opposite message, always Saturn and Uranus. So on July 30th at 1111 a.m. Pacific time, we have the opposition from Mercury and Leo to Saturn in Aquarius. And opposition often swings dramatically from one planet to the other. So this is the kind of aspect that on this day, maybe a day either side, We have lots and lots that we want to say, but somehow we can't get the words out. It's as if Saturn is a cork that's been stuck in our mouths, and it makes it difficult to just get the words out. But on the plus side, anytime we have Mercury interacting with Saturn in any way, it guides and disciplines and tempers the planet that it is in opposition with, in this case, Mercury. So all of those brilliant ideas or insights that came to you on July 28th when Mercury squared Uranus now can be actually used in a constructive way, maybe through describing them to somebody else. You can get them a lot more clear in your mind. This is also an aspect that kind of harkens back to that Mercury square to Mars earlier in the week, which can, again, be very energetic, very lively make us want to do things that are of the nature of Mercury, but that we can tend to get a little bit overheated and impatient. And Saturn really tones that down. It's kind of a sequence that unfolds throughout the week that I wanted to point out. The excitement, the impetuousness, but also the impatience of Mercury with Mars. Then the ideas out of left field, the insights, the innovation of Mercury square Uranus, and then all coming together at the end of the week to be tied up in a lovely bow with Mercury opposed Saturn. Now it's an opposition, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it goes real smoothly or in a straight line, but a really good use for this Mercury opposition to Saturn can just be sitting down with somebody else and talking about it. You might be the lively, excited, enthusiastic Mercury and Leo individual trying to sell this idea. And it can be helpful to have another person that plays Saturn that says, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? How is this going to work? Now it's time for this week's moon report, and it begins with a lovely Leo new moon. On July 28th at 10.55 a.m. Pacific time at 5 degrees and 38 minutes Leo. The Sabian symbol for 6 Leo is an old-fashioned lady and a flapper. This seems to be more of the old versus new commentary that we explored last week. 
in that episode, I was talking about how it's important to keep moving forward or we get stale and we get old before our time. And in the symbol, we see the tension between being kind of an old-fashioned lady who was taught to do things in a particular way and who was taught that rewards would be forthcoming if you play by the rules. But then this flapper that is a figure very outside the mainstream and having them kind of regarding each other and either learning something from each other or kind of looking down on each other in some way. You know, a lot of people don't realize it, but there is a side of Leo that is a little bit old fashioned or a little bit conservative or a little more restrained and wants to have an order to things and to follow it. This particular new moon point, the sun and the moon, are trine Jupiter. And the exact trine from the sun to Jupiter comes at the end of the week on the 31st at 3.36 p.m. Pacific time. The sun coming together with Jupiter, especially in such a lovely aspect as a trine, seems to say the sky is the limit. Anything we want, anything we ask for can be ours. And it's a time for us to express who we truly are, whether it's an old-fashioned lady or a flapper, and expect to have that received in a positive way or to bring us good things. But the sun in Leo, a sign that it's very strong in, in a trine with Jupiter in Aries, which is also a sign that is very comfortable for the sun to interact with. It's exalted in Aries. And this combination to me says, well, beware, because there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. We're coming into fire season here in Southern California in the next month or so. And if there is a better picture of the sun and Jupiter trying each other in fire signs than a huge brush fire, I don't know what it would be. So our enthusiasms can possibly get away with us if we're not careful. But this new moon, as all new moons do, begins a dynamic new lunar phase family cycle that will expand out over the next two and a half years with critical phases coming every nine months. And I will link to an article in the show notes that talks about this lunar phase family or gestation cycle. But it's a really great way to look at the consequences of a new moon, the themes of a new moon, expanding out beyond just that 28-day new moon cycle. The first quarter in this new lunar phase family will come on April 27th, 2023. The full moon is on January 25th, 2024. And then the last quarter moon would be October 24th, 2024. And all of those are near this five degree point of Leo. So that's how this works. So what I would say is watch how things unfold this new moon month. And especially in the Leo and Aries houses of your chart, see where you are maybe inspired to do more, to want more, to be more. What areas of your life? are really feeling that impulse. And whether or not you might tend to overdo it just a little bit or get in just a little bit over your head, 
because that is the challenge in part of the next two and a half years from this cycle. Let's look at the void, of course, moon periods for this week. On July 25th, the moon in Gemini makes a square to Neptune at 1.14 a.m. Pacific time. It's then void, of course, for almost 10 hours. It enters Cancer at 10.54 a.m. Pacific time. Here on the West Coast, we will sleep through a lot of this, but it will influence the first part of our waking day if we're getting up and going to work or anything else that we normally do as part of our daily routine. On the East Coast, you get a few more waking hours of this, so it's very influential to the day. But the moon has turned void, of course, on Neptune, and we know that the quality of Neptune is one that's a little softer and a little less focused. So if you can on this day, and it's a Monday, so that's a little bit hard, we tend to want to hit the ground running or have to hit the ground running on Monday. See if you can organize your day in such a way that it's a little less tightly scheduled. That if you don't make it to an appointment exactly on time, it's really not going to be too much of a problem. See if you can organize things so that you can sleep in a little bit later. By the time the moon enters Cancer at nearly 11 a.m. here on the West Coast, that's about 2 o'clock on the East Coast, then it's more appropriate to get into a focused direction because cancer is a cardinal sign. It wants to initiate things. Then on July 27th, the moon in cancer makes an opposition aspect to Pluto at 5.54 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about five and a half hours then and enters Leo at 11.36 p.m. We know by now about these Difficult aspects that the moon makes to Pluto as it's ending its transit through a sign. And the opposition to Pluto can speak to people close to you, people around you who might be having some problems or feeling some emotional distress or feeling a little bit defeated by life. So you might be the Cancerian person who is lending some support, giving a hug writing a kind text or email. On the other hand, you might be the Pluto person who is really feeling as if, wow, no matter what I do, nothing changes. Pluto can be a really defeatist kind of planet. And with the opposition, it usually is one person is showing something to the other person. Either the ability to be kind with others who are suffering or what it's like to be going through a bad time. Now, again, this is a lunar aspect. It moves really quickly. We're talking about the influence of one day and not some larger pattern. But especially if you are currently undergoing some hard Pluto transits from late Capricorn to your moon or something in your chart, this can be one of those little triggers that periodically comes up and makes you aware of the larger picture. Then on July 29th, the moon in Leo opposes Saturn at 9.29 p.m. Pacific time. This is a very long void, of course, moon period. It lasts 13 and a half hours. So basically it's Saturn telling all of us, just go sit in the corner. And then the moon enters Virgo 
on July 30th at 11.11 a.m. And this happens because the planets that are at the latest degrees, Neptune, Pluto, these are in signs that Leo does not make a major aspect to. They do make a quincunx, and that's not unimportant. But for the purposes of evaluating the void of course moon, we just look at the conjunction, sextile, square, trine, and opposition. So this is why we're getting these super long void of course moon periods as the moon is in Leo. The moon's opposition to Saturn is, again, oppositions are about looking outside us or, or messages coming from outside us, feedback we're getting from other people. And this can be feedback that says, oh, you're being really full of yourself because it's the moon in Leo. Who are you to think you can do this? You should be noticed or appreciated. It's a pretty harsh combination, Saturn coming together with the sun or with anything in Leo. On the plus side, if you have been a little overdramatic about things, this is a good day to sort of pull back on that, to be your own Saturn. It's okay to feel exactly the way you feel, but it doesn't have to be the focus of everybody else's day. <laughs> hey there, Invisible Friend, it's April here. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. I love bringing it to you each week, all of the breaking news of the sky happenings we all share. But how about the way it's all playing out in your own birth chart? Sometimes you just want to talk with someone about it, right? Well, make that someone me. Whether you're having some really big things happening in your life right now, or you just want to get to know yourself a little better, you can book a 60 or 90 minute reading with me wherever you are in the world via the miracle of Zoom. I can even record it for you so you have an indelible record of our wonderful time together. Just follow the link to personal readings at my website, bigskyastrology.com. That's bigskyastrology.com. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. Jupiter turns retrograde this week on July 28th at 1.38 p.m. Pacific time at 8 degrees and 43 minutes of Aries on the Sabian symbol, 9 Aries, a crystal gazer. Now, Jupiter is one of those planets that's retrograde for a lot of the year. I think it's about four and a half or five months. It has been direct since October 17th of 2021. And when Jupiter is retrograde, we look within for guidance about what everything means. What is the meaning of life? How does the world work? And what is our place within it? I think we see a hint of that in that Sabian symbol, a crystal gazer, where we're focusing down into our crystal ball, we're scrying, and we are trying to see within that, as a reflection of what's inside us, our own intuition, what everything means. When a planet like Jupiter is retrograde, it can also mean that we can be a little bit too blinded about, in this case, the opinions of others or the beliefs of others. We don't necessarily take in that helpful perspective that another person can give. It is very much a time through November 23rd when Jupiter moves direct again to engage in healthy introspection. 
And this, again, is the big matters. What does it all mean? And what role are you playing in it all? This will also flavor that lunar phase family that unfolds over the next two and a half years. Because in the new moon chart, the sun and moon are trying this Jupiter that's just getting ready to turn retrograde. So it gives a little more of an introspective message. On July 31st at 1.05 p.m. Pacific time, Uranus makes a conjunction with the moon's north node at 18 degrees and 41 minutes of Taurus. And then the next day, Mars will join Uranus and the north node. Now, I have to admit that when I was looking at the big planetary highlights for 2022, I think my friend Lene Van Horn, who I mentioned on the last episode, I'm going to link to her website in the show notes because she's good people and a wonderful astrologer. But I think she caught this. We did an event together at the beginning of the year where we both kind of gave our ideas about the big aspects in 2022. And I think she did catch this one. It's a really big deal because the last time that Mars, Uranus, and the North Node came together this closely in this area of Taurus was in 324 BC. Now, I am not a mundane astrologer. Mundane astrologers are the ones that really study long historical periods and you know politics and world events. I, this is not my specialty. So I will link to a couple of good resources in the show notes. But in the articles that I've read, the mundane astrologers have been drawing parallels between the reign of Alexander the Great during that era, which brought about really a new political era entirely for Europe and Asia. And they are seeing markers that we are entering a new phase in empire and capitalism. In particular, there was a really good article I saw in Wellbeing magazine. It's an Australian magazine, and I'll link to that for sure in the show notes. But let's take just a moment to consider that these conjunctions are taking place on the Sabian symbol 19 Taurus, a newly formed continent. And if you thought that the last two and a half years were unlike anything you've ever seen, I suspect that moving forward, we're going to be seeing even more profound shifts. For example, I'd keep an eye on Uranus turning retrograde on this degree on August 24th. And that will give us a little heads up, perhaps, on the feeling of the direction going forward. On a more personal note, if there is something in your chart, a planet or an angle, at around 19 degrees of the fixed signs, especially Taurus, but also Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius, then this combination has profound implications for you personally. And I would look at the houses that are involved, the houses that the planets are in, the houses that they rule, and see the areas of your life that are undergoing an enormous shift a new continent being formed and arising. This can be exciting, but especially since we have the planets Mars and Uranus coming together, who when they get together can cause a certain amount of mischief. It's a little bit sobering. We have to be a little bit wary moving forward. 
Mars, again, is that impatience. And I think I remember saying when Mars entered Taurus, how much it can get so entrenched in its position and get really, really, really stuck until suddenly one day it just kind of explodes. This is how Mars and Taurus tends to handle anger. And when it comes together with Uranus, Uranus is that powder keg that can just make Mars explode. So it's always an aspect that we look at with a little bit of wariness and say, hey, you know, take necessary cautions. If you're driving, make sure you're keeping your speed limit where it should be and you're well rested and all of these kinds of things, just as an example of a Mars activity. But anything that you're doing, err on the side of caution. In this week's listener question, listener Kelly writes, given we all have individual placements in our charts, how do we best interpret these weekly energies and how they relate to us? Or is it not about us, but about everybody? Well, Kelly, it's a wonderful question. The way I present the week's astrological highlights, both here on the podcast and on my website, is by necessity very generalized. It's like a weather forecast. Basically, I'm saying it's going to be raining this week. But not only is the area that you're in made up of many streets and alleys and byways where there might actually be no rain at all, but rain affects everybody differently. If it's raining and I have to fight rush hour traffic to get to my job, Well, that's a much more frustrating and dangerous proposition than if I work from home and I don't have to get in my car at all. But there are a couple of ways to make my rather general forecasts here a lot more personal to you. And they also kind of work with other kinds of forecasts and horoscopes that you read. One thing to do is what people do when they write horoscopes is place the particular planet or planets in your own birth chart and see what houses they fall in and if they're making any aspects to your own planets. So if we're talking about that Mars-Uranus-North node combination, we're going to see where it is 19 degrees of Taurus, 18 degrees, 41 minutes of Taurus. What house is that in, in your birth chart? Just find the house that has Taurus on the house cusp. And if the number on the house cusp is later than 1841, then this combination is in the previous house. And if it's after that, then it's in the next house. So you find out the house that it's in. That says the area where this planetary energy is playing out for you. Let's say it's in the sixth house and it's taking place in the workplace and there's some big kerfuffle that happens at your job. This is kind of what astrologers are doing when they write sun sign horoscopes in a general kind of way. What they do is pretend that your sun sign is on the first house cusp, and then they order the rest of the houses accordingly. So if you have the sun in Leo, that would be on the first house. And that would mean that this combination of planets in Taurus, Mars, Uranus, and the North Node would be in the 10th house. 
relative to your sun sign. So that would put some emphasis on not just the workplace, but your general career, also authority figures in your life. Now, an astrologer who has access to your full birth chart would look where in your chart these individual planets that I talk about each week are traveling. That tells us where things are going to be happening. Let's take this trine between the sun and Jupiter as an example. An astrologer with access to your full birth chart would look where in your chart these planets are traveling. And that tells us where you will receive the lovely but somewhat exaggerated experience of the sun with Jupiter. Maybe the sun as it travels through Leo is mostly in the 10th house of your chart. You are wanting more recognition, perhaps in your work. And then let's say that Jupiter in Aries then is falling in your sixth house, the house of work. And we draw a distinction between the sixth house, which is where you do your actual job, and the 10th house, which is where all that fits in, in the greater scheme of your life, of what you would call your calling, your career. So maybe this sun and Jupiter trine would bring you some big opportunity at work that gives you a chance to shine, the sun and Leo, and to get more recognition. It would also be helpful to see what other planets in your birth chart are near the same degrees as those two planets, which are coming together just around nine degrees of Leo and Aries. Let's say you have Mars at nine degrees of Scorpio in your first house. Your drive and your desire to maintain a sense of control, and also your privacy. These might trip you up a little bit in your desire to be successful because the sun's moving through Leo, which very much wants to call attention to itself. So that might make it a little trickier to get the most out of this nice sun-Jupiter aspect. Then there is one more thing I would recommend, which is you take a look at the rulerships of the planets making the aspect. We talked about rulerships in the last episode. So let's say you're a Virgo and Virgo's ruling planet is Mercury. So this week we have three aspects that are involving Mercury, your ruling planet. And that means that what they are doing, this Mercury's making the square to Mars and the square to Uranus and the opposition to Saturn. And all of these have a very specific and personal meaning for you as a Virgo because Mercury is your ruling planet. I hope that answers your question, Kelly. It is one that comes up quite a lot. And I'm glad to have had an opportunity and a reminder to point that out to people how to take the general influences that we're talking about here and applying them to your unique personal situation. If you have a burning question about astrology that you'd like me to answer, leave a voicemail of one minute or less at speakpipe.com forward slash big sky astrology podcast, or you can send me an email april at bigskyastrology.com and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line.
Well, that is everything on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. Please subscribe or follow in your app of choice if you're enjoying the show. Ratings and reviews are always welcome. And I would love it if you'd spread the word by sharing the show with an astrology-loving friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave any comments you have about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. Thanks very much to everyone who showed support for the podcast over the past year. Each week, I'm thanking some of you by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Francine Parling, Liga Sorona, and Colleen Moffat. Francine, Liga, and Colleen, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. It is deeply appreciated. If you enjoy the show and would like to make a donation of your own, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and follow the link. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.